Canada and welcome back to another edition of Watch Your Lips, the PBR Canada podcast. We got episode 11 coming at you here. Really excited for this one. We got Jonathan Mayo coming on. It'll be the first non uh, first non player, um, I guess, except for uh, except for Jeff Allen there early on in uh, the Watch Your Lips days. But uh, we got him coming on from uh, the MLB Pipeline. Works with the MLB Network. Uh, he's big on big on prospects, so draft prospects, uh, prospects um, coming through the systems, top 100 guys. Uh, so. I uh, chop it up a little bit with him uh, of uh, some prior prospects that are now uh, playing playing in the pros. We talk Soroka, Naylor, Quantrill. Uh, we go over this year's draft with the Canadian guys and uh, chop it up a little bit uh, on the Blue Jays front. Um, so we talk Blue Jays prospects, uh, you know, who they might be shipping out uh, should Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins uh, remain active here uh, throughout the winter. Um, but uh, yeah, on that note, on the note of uh, free agency, the note of the hot stove, what are the Blue Jays going to do? That uh, That's all you're seeing right now, Twitter, MLB.com, um, everywhere is saying the Blue Jays are going to spend. Uh, they've brought Robbie Ray back already, but uh, you know, you're seeing the Lindors out there, you're seeing the Chris Bryants. Uh, they were linked to Colton Wong this past week. So, um, I mean, it's super exciting to see them in the news on a lot of these guys. Um, not going to complain if we got Lindor. Um, that's a fun guy to watch right there, that's for sure. Um, and, I mean, he's got uh, he's got those ties to uh, Shapiro as well from those Cleveland days. Um, but anyways, we talk, uh, we talk that stuff with Jonathan Mayo. Um, unfortunately, he doesn't... Uh, he doesn't feel as confident as us Blue Jays fans with uh, with the Lindor train, but uh, you know what? We can hope. We can hope. Um, but anyways, um, things have just been slow on uh, the free agency front, so that's something I want to touch on. Um, you know what? And I, I personally, I think it sucks. I think it sucks just how slow how slow it takes free agency to pick up in baseball. Um, you look at the NBA or even the NHL, right? Like J- July 1st is always the day, you know, you sit around your couch on Canada Day right around the noon hour, noon hour, one o'clock hour, and you just see the signings come through. Obviously, the, the trades aren't exclusive to uh, to that July 1st. That's, that's the signing day. But um, you, you know when to expect things to go down in the NHL. And, and when the NBA, you know, when things first open up for them, um, you know, you see a lot of activity in baseball. I know over the past few years, you know, with spending and especially this year with COVID, um, you know, teams don't really know where, you know, payroll might be and, and things like that. But I mean, it, it just stinks to sit around and and just kind of wait for things to happen. So, I mean, kind of like last year with uh, the whole Harper and Machado, um, you know, things were just slow and, and, and it sucked to not really know when things were going to go down. But uh, it's been several weeks now. Um and I mean, I'm I'm hoping that uh, that'll pick up soon here. I think it seems like uh, we're about three months out on spring training right now. So um, hopefully things can pick up on that front, which in turn will hopefully uh, see some moves here from the Blue Jays. But uh, anyways, uh, we go over all this with uh, with Jonathan Mayo. So uh, without further ado, I'm gonna throw it over to him now. Alrighty, so joining me next here on the Watch Your Lips podcast from MLB Pipeline, we have uh, Jonathan Mayo, 
And uh, so I know you're a Pittsburgh native. So that's that's where we met was at uh, at a Pirates game. So first of all, I got I got to ask you. You a Penguins fan or? I'm not a hockey guy. Like I hate to disappoint uh, Canadians, but uh, I've never really been a hockey guy. So I can't I can't like jump on the bandwagon. Uh, you know, because the Penguins over the years that I've lived in Pittsburgh have been pretty dang good. But uh, like every but Pittsburgh no. sports team, almost starting to disappoint. Um, so there we go. D- disappointing uh, off the hop. But uh, so we'll jump right into something, uh, something you will be able to bring the Canadian fans here. So uh, Owen Casey and uh, David Calabrese, they were uh, the first two Canadians selected in this draft. So obviously uh, they kind of came into uh, your rankings there at uh, MLB Pipeline. So uh, what do you have uh, on those two guys and what do you see from them this year? Yeah, it was funny because depending on who you talked to and when, uh, there were differing opinions of who was who was better, um, you know, and they're different. They're different kinds of, of players. Uh, you know, Casey has some some pretty legitimate power potential, um, you know, from the left side of the plate. And that's always, you know, that's always a good thing. I think he's going to have to make some adjustments um, with his with his his bat path and, and increasing his ability to make contact. It, but. He also we haven't really seen him go out and and, and play. Um, you know he runs well. Um, I think that you know he could. I, I you know he, he probably could handle center, but uh, but I think he ends up landing kind of in in right field when all is said and done. You know as an athletic, power hitting, left handed hitting, run producing guy with a good arm. And then Calabrese just can really, really run. Um, you know, if you really, really, really want to dream, you think that maybe eventually he could be an Andrew Benintendi type. That's, that's an interesting comp. I like that. Yeah, that's if you really think the the power will will come as he physically matures. There's some in there, um, but this is a guy that some people had you know, 80 grades on his, on his speed. Yeah. So, you know, that's going to, that's going to play uh, no matter what another left-handed hitter. Um, you know, he's more a gap to gap guy he uses his speed. That's, you know, I think he'll learn, especially in today's game, he'll, you know, as he gains strength, he will learn to tap into that power some. And I don't know that he needs to be a huge power guy. I think he's, a, you know, a table setter type. So different players, you know, uh, and I guess it really depended on what, you know, what sort of flavor of outfielder you liked more at the time? Obviously, Casey went around ahead of of Calabrese when all was said and done. And so with Casey, I know he was uh, he was out with the Padres this fall, um, and especially just with everything surrounding the draft and the minor leagues and everything right now. How important do you think that is for for players that were drafted this year to get that experience this fall? And it seems like a lot of prospects didn't. Well, I think because I mean, by and large whatever the year would be a guy from this draft class would be at instructs. So it's the additional work that he got. And it's, it's kind of been an interesting thing, Cam, you know, cause we did a bunch of alternate site reports, you know, for each, for each team. Yeah. And I, ha- and I have this kind of working theory and, and if I have the wherewithal you know, and the time I may dig into a little bit that, the the alternate site obviously like you could only go so far in simulating competition and if you talked some teams ended up having like nobody in left field and one team had their farm director playing second base and because there just weren't enough players yeah but for the really really young guys 
and I put the the Owen Casey's of the world, you know, the high school guys from this draft class and the international signees who are, you know, 17 and maybe in the States for the first time, just being around the upper level players that were there, not to mention the former big leaguers who were trying to stay sharp in case they were needed is more valuable than you might realize. And you can't quantify it. You can't say, well, you know, Owen Casey got, 200 at-bats during alternate set. I have no idea how many at-bats he got. And and it doesn't really matter. What he did see and what other young players did see was how do you get ready for a game? How do you prepare your body to play every single day? And these are things that sometimes players don't learn until they get to, say, double A or they've been in the pro game for a while or you know they've had it hammered into their head by instructors, and, which sometimes can you know doesn't sink in quite as much as when you see former big leaguer X who's doing it every day in this weird alternate site, you know, and if you can learn the sort of discipline and focus in that very bizarre setting, then I think it's going to serve these young players. Well, um, you know, does it completely make up for, and not in someone like Casey's case, cause he just was drafted, but does it make up for 500 at bats in the Midwest league? Uh, no, probably not, but I think it comes closer than you would think. And I've had a lot of farm directors tell me that with some of these younger guys, it was more valuable than, you know, a couple hundred at bats in, you know, the Gulf Coast League or Arizona Rookie League. And that's actually that's a really interesting point there um, with uh, Casey and just uh, being at the alternate site, just being around players, um, you know, that have been there and, and, you know, some some big leaguers. Because uh, we had Owen Casey on the podcast uh, maybe about a month ago or so. So it was right after the alternate site. And uh, he was talking to us about how uh, Tommy Pham was was in the cage on the same day as him. Like, you know, just talking to those guys, you know, like you said, might mean more than 100 bats in certain places. Um, And so sticking with, I guess, uh, Padres prospects, it was interesting when uh, Casey got drafted to San Diego because we know they love their Canadians. But uh, not long after that, right, they move out uh, Josh Naylor and Cal Quantrill. Um, so just what are your takes on that trade? And, and you know, where do you see uh, those two fitting in in that Cleveland uh, organization? Yeah, you know, Quantrill is interesting because I would have thought for sure that he was a starter. <laughs> um, that was a question I had for you in there. It shows you, well, I think, you know, if, if you look at what he did this last year, um, where he was a very effective relief pitcher, I think that, uh, I, I would probably just leave him there and uh, without knowing what the makeup of the Indians rotation will be in 2021. I mean, you could stretch him back out, but I mean, he, he was, he was a lot more dominant than you would think for a guy who over the, you know, even in his college career, he never missed, you know, he, he didn't miss tons of bats. He was more of a sort of feel for, for pitching kind of thing. Yeah. And he misses enough bats. You know, it wasn't like he's striking out four per nine, but you know, the hits have always been kind of high, but he doesn't walk guys. But he, he, I think he saw an uptick um, when he was pitching out of the bullpen. So I would probably leave him there. Uh, you know, you know, you have a, a guy that could handle multiple innings. And yeah. I think that has a lot of value these days. Um, you know, starters are only being asked to go five, six innings. So if you have a guy who could handle, the sixth and seventh say, you know, from time to time or come in early and do the fifth and sixth to get it to the guys who close things out. Yeah. Uh, that could, that 
you know, he could pitch a, a really, really long time uh, in, in the big leagues that way. But, you know, they also could they could stretch him out. Um, and, uh, you know, they could stretch him out and give him another chance to start knowing that it's certainly not difficult to just kind of pull the plug on that. Yeah. And uh, and, and move him back to the bullpen. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know what the plan is. Um, and then Josh Naylor. Yeah, I don't like the guy. I, I, I still firmly believe that he can hit. Um, it was fun to watch him think, against Garrett Cole in that uh, playoff series there. Yeah, yeah, and I think, I think he's, I think he's going to hit. You know, um, you know what he did in that in that in you know, the two games he played in in that series was kind of insane. Yeah, but um, what he is defensively, I don't know. Now the the beauty now maybe there'll be a DH universally now, but you know. Uh, you can DH him whenever you want to in the American League, and and I'll say like it, you know, I think he's fine. I think he probably could play you know uh, you know left field, which is where he mostly played once he got to Cleveland. Um, and he's fine at first base, but you know you can make sure that his bat is in the lineup every single day and not feel like you had to put him out there defensively every single day. And I think that's gonna I think that's gonna help him long term also. Already and on to um, maybe uh, one of the maybe the best Canadian in the league right now at least uh, personally uh, might be a little biased here but I think he should have won uh, Rookie of the Year over Pete Alonso uh, last year but anyways Mike Soroka how good do you think he can be and and do you think he potentially down the down the line here could bring home a Cy Young? Yes, I mean yes, I mean. Uh, I might argue with you about Pete Alonso, and I love Mike Soroka, yeah. but the dude hit 50 homers. I mean, it, it, it's kind of hard to look yeah, past can, that. Yeah, can't argue that. We'll, we'll put a pin in that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and it could have gone either way. I think that was one of those years that, like, it could, it certainly could have gone either way. And the fact that Soroka was um, so good and so efficient and so durable in 2019. And when was the last time you saw a rookie – throw almost 175 innings. And I thought that was one of the better um, divisions in baseball too, at least hitting wise. Yeah. And if you, and he and actually was over 175, it was over 180 when he had his, his NLDS start, which was also really, really good. So, you know, and, and, and the good thing, you know, you never want to see an injury and it's a shame uh, to, to, to see what happened, but it was not an arm injury. He'll be fine. Um, you know, be patient, Braves fans and, Canadian baseball fans. The last thing you want to do is have him come back too early from something like that. So he doesn't re rupture the Achilles or start throwing differently. Um, and then ends up with a, with an arm issue. Um, but yeah, I, I think, listen, you got Cy Young award votes in 2019. There's no reason for him not to be back, you know, and, and the silver lining is that the Braves were forced to see how good Ian Anderson could be at the big league level. So now, to have a rotation with the two of them at the top of it um, for a really, really long time. They're both super young, um, you know, and I like the the sort of quiet assassin vibe you get from Mike Soroka. Yep. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you ever use that word. You know, Canadians always have that reputation <laughs> of being so, so nice. So kind. 
and he is an and he's an he is a he is a nice young man. I've talked to him. I you you agree with that, right? Yep, absolutely. He, he's a good dude, but when he's on the on the mound, laser focus. Forget about it. Yep, forget about it. So it's not one of these always too nice. So I, yeah, I think I think he's going to be just fine. And you know, even if say 2019 ends up being the sort of pinnacle in terms of just how good he is, if he say regresses to his mean. To me, his mean is that of a number three starter who gives you 180 to 200 innings every year. That's really good. Yeah. You know, so uh, you know, I, I, and I'm not. I don't think that's what he's going to do. By the way, I think he's going to keep. He's going to get better. He's so smart on the mound, and uh, and he's still so young. So you know, there's plenty of time for him to learn new things and to make adjustments. Um, you know, to keep adding moderate strength to a frame that's already pretty strong uh so yeah, there, there's lots and lots of good to uh to 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 come once he's 100 percent healthy yeah and it was uh i mean that braves team was already uh, fun enough to watch in in that right. postseason without him so i can i can just imagine uh, how, how exciting they'll be you know yeah like you said down the stretch here with ian anderson too um and just on to one final uh, one final question here on uh, canadian prospects so Jordan Balazovic, he is uh, he's in your top 100. He's the top Canadian on that list as well. So what do you see for him in uh, first timeline? Do you see him late 2021, or you push him into into 2022? What do you got there? Um, well, I have his ETA as 2021, and I do the Twins list, so that that's on me. Now we probably set that ETA before this year. Yeah, you know, and for guys like that. That I don't know what that's going to look like. It's like a wait and see um, almost. I think there was this thought that maybe they'd, you know, he'd start if this had been a normal year. Man, how many times have we started a sentence with that in, yeah. in any <laughs> part of our lives? But anyway, you know, he could have started back in Fort Myers. You know, give him a month. Um, he dom- go, you know, dominates there again, and then moves up to Double A. And spends, you know, even if he spends half the year in Double A in 2020, that puts him sort of on a path to be ready in the second half of 2021. I haven't gotten any reports yet in terms of, you know, how he threw o- over the summer. He was not a guy that came up when I did, you know, when I did stuff on alternate camp. I, I you know, I, I think that he, he was doing just fine. You know, nothing, nothing bad happened. You know, we have limited guys that we can talk about when we yeah, do those exactly. reports but i do think that um you know did he learn enough from upper level guys and all that kind of stuff that he can start 2021 in double a yeah I, I think there's the possibility of that and and if that's the case then i think he could end up in the big leagues at the end you know in, in the back half of 2021 you know if you want to be conservative he's what he's 22 now uh, maybe 2022 is the is is the better timeline but we know that the twins don't hesitate you know if they yeah. think that he can help even if they shorten him up and put him in the bullpen you know out of the gate um then uh you know then i think it could then it could happen and i think you know both he and and uh, joan duran from their from their farm system are, are going to help them out if you know, if not full time, both of them in 2020, and then by 2022, I think they could sort of help be cornerstones of that rotation. Yeah, and I, I, uh, I take a guess that uh, 
everything that went down this season played uh, played a little bit of a role in all those ETAs for you guys at Pipeline. We're gonna have to, you know, when we when we redo the list for next year, I think we kind of just left them alone because, like, I don't, you know, none of us knew what to do. It's like yeah. we 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 didn't even do a full on re ranking. Um, we just put the draft guys in because we're like, well, what, how are we going to re-rank a guy? Like, you know, we, we don't know. We had, at the, well, we had, they hadn't played. I mean, even at the time when we did our re-rank, Randy or Rosarino of the Rays hadn't played an inning of baseball yet. So we didn't move him. Um, you know, and then, of course, he did what he did. And yeah. Like, but, uh, you know, it's uh, that is what it is. It just was the nature of this strange, uh, strange year. But, yeah, I really think that he has the chance to be – a really, really good starter, uh, you know, in in the not too distant uh, future. It, you, I think we need to see him. One thing that's held him back is that he's not thrown a ton. You know, they've been you know cautious in terms of his innings and things like that. You know, so if I I don't have his stats in front of me, but I don't think he's he's not gone over a hundred innings in a year yet, right? Don't think so. so no. And so that's not the be all end all. Um, but that's why I think I sort of pause and err on the side of caution. His stuff is good enough though, that he could come out next year and pitch so well that he ends up, you know, kind of developing on the fly in Minnesota. Okay. Fair enough. Um, and so you're going, you are pretty much the, uh, the go-to draft guy, you and Jim Callis. Um, so if you have any information here, so, uh, the 2021 draft, um, what, what are you hearing, uh, round wise? Um, are, you know, are you hearing 20 or what do you have on that end? Oh, I got nothing. I got nothing for you. My get if I'm, if I were to guess it'd be 20, um, some of that may end up depending on what that the season looks like. Um, you know, if say for whatever reason, the major league season is delayed and things are thrown out of whack, they may shorten that a little bit. Um, as it is the, you know, the, the shorter, the shorter draft this past year is going to have ramifications in terms of, you know, funneling players into a farm system. Even if the, even if the minor leagues are, you know, are smaller, it, there's going to be a, I think they're going to feel the hit of the lack of players, the, the infusion of talent that a, a slightly larger draft would have. And I know teams sign those, those free agents and things like that. So I, it, Let's go under the assumption that the season sort of is more or less normal. They have the draft in July. I think it'll be 20 rounds when all is said and done. If I if I had to to guess, but I would not bet my home. Do you think they're uh, they're like maybe waiting to see if there's going to be fans in the stands or? I think that's part of it. You know, uh, just having a regular slate of games, which you know brings in TV revenue is, is as important. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do think it's somewhat short-sighted uh, in, in terms of, of, of investment because the, yeah, like the players you, you get in the first round, you're paying, but that's going to happen even if there's a five round draft, you know, the, the money you're spending in round six through 10, you know, like a team saved what a million dollars last year. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, maybe sometimes they find one guy in the eleventh round that they go over slot for, but you're not saving a ton of money. You know, the same reason by you know, in terms of furloughing or or letting go scouts. You know, I think that's, uh, you know, really cutting your you know, you're biting the hand that feeds you, whatever 
metaphor yeah. you want to use there. But, it, you know, I, I do think that that is a mistake and it's not saving that much money. You know, but I do think that any kind of return to normalcy, but it, I think it's TV more than anything. Sure, attendance is great, and then it fuels more more interest. But you know, not everywhere, but in a lot of places, it's the TV contracts that uh, that bring in the most revenue. So I, I think that's going to be key. So if they if they can play close to 162 games, even if it's you're only allowed 50 percent capacity in the stands or whatever it is, I think that I would imagine that would help. And not that I'm a hundred percent sure that revenue is tied into the ultimate decision in terms of how many, how many rounds of draft uh, there are going to be. It'll be interesting because there are teams that are really short staffed scout wise and will have to ramp back up, you know, in a hurry in the, in the, in the spring. And I'm hoping that's what they end up doing. Yeah, no, that's that's an interesting point there. Um, and so for you, um, you know what what's your most uh, what's your most memorable? Uh, you know, which event do you enjoy most uh, throughout the year? Is it uh, like for me? I mean, I'm a big on, on, I'm big on the top uh, top 100 prospects. You know, guys that have kind of already been drafted. So for me, uh, the the Arizona Fall League is kind of uh, kind of my go-to. That's you know that's somewhere that I you know hope to be one day. You know down the road be there every year type thing so for you what uh what events do you look forward to most uh to going yeah, you to gotta go you gotta go i gotta see you out there you, you know if there's an arizona fall league next year you have to make it yeah i mean from a like year year to year thing that's always been my favorite i love the i love the fall league you know uh jim callis and i are constantly kind of beating the drum that if you're a baseball fan you you should come out um, you know, a lot of people like to go to spring training and I get it. You see the big leaguers and things like that, but it's, it, it's kind of insane. The fall league is like really chill and you get to see the, the top talent before other people do. Yeah. The future um, pretty much. Yeah. And it's like, and it's just easy. Like there's, you know, the, the, it's not because it's a developmental league. It's not, they're not worried about packing the seats and yeah. selling the stuff and things like that. So it's like, you can come in and go sit right behind the dugout of your your home team prospects team. Yeah, your Vlad Guerrero so, Juniors. Yes, I mean the I mean the amount of people that I've seen. I saw Mike Trout twice in in the Arizona Fall League. Um, so, you know Ronald Acuna uh, right before he you know everyone else saw him. You know, yeah, and the list goes on and on. I've been going there for twenty years. Uh, so that you know from a year to year thing, yeah. And I like I mean I like going to spring training. The futures game is fantastic from a one day like big event kind of thing that's awesome because we don't get to go out and see players all that often you know uh just there are too many of them but the 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 fall league is like that um but the futures game is incredible because every you know that one day you're seeing all the best talent that you've been writing about and talking about on one field at one time and that's that's kind of a kid in the candy kind of feeling um and i have other things i've been able to do um that have been lots and lots of fun i covered a caribbean world series i've been in the college world series um i have a special affinity for uh particularly the last world baseball classic yeah those are fun um, uh well i got you know I, I was in asia uh following team israel for a documentary movie i helped make and so that was uh that was an, an incredibly fun ride uh, I have close connections with a lot of players who are on that team. And so, you know, that's a one-off, but still, 
not going to the fall league this year was probably the thing that that hurt the yeah, most. It yeah. was just this weird itch, you know, that I couldn't scratch. I'm like, wow, oh, man. Normally, I I normally spend two weeks there. So um, that definitely was high up on the uh, high up on the on the list of things that were missed in 2020. Um, so on the topic of that, right? So that uh, that's that's your favorite event. What uh, what's your most memorable performance um, throughout uh, throughout your time covering that? At the, in the I'm sorry, in the Folly. Yeah, at the Arizona Folly. Yeah. Well, I would like to say that I was at this game. But I was not. But I'm pretty sure I was in Arizona when Brandon Wood hit four homers in one game. Uh, and take that as a cautionary tale. Yeah. Because yeah. it never really clicked for him. Um, and that happens. Um, I'll go way, way back uh, in, to covering an Arizona Fall League championship game. Okay. And there was a, a prospect who didn't, he didn't throw super, super hard, but he, he threw in the championship game. He went seven innings, only because I think he only threw about 65 pitches, living off of his changeup. And it was one of those things, because I was like the, we were doing a you know an online TV broadcast. Okay. Don't try to find it. I don't think you can. And the, and the <laughs> oh, <I've> production <laughs> value would not be good. I think we had one. It was like one, it was like a one, one, you know, one high home camera, and that was it. We've come a long way in that regard. But um so I was like the the sideline reporter. So I was going from dugout to dugout, and the dugout of the team facing this guy, um, they were just kept shaking their heads because he wasn't throwing that hard. But the changeup they could not pick up, and they were either swinging over the top of it or you know just beating it into the ground. And that was. Uh, James Shields. Well, he was Jamie Shields back then, but that was Jamie Shields. And I remember at the time, I think like he was not a hugely regarded prospect, but I was like, man, this guy's got really good feel. He's got a changeup that'll get hitters out. I thought, you know, I thought maybe he was still only a back end starter. He, he made some more adjustments and he started throwing a bit harder. But I saw then his affinity for being on the mound in a, in a big spot which, you know, he did do uh, a number of times, especially early on in his career. And uh, so someone else uh, that I have to ask you about, uh, since I'm sure you've seen a lot of them over the past couple of years, you might be able to see it over my shoulder here. It's a, a Fernando Tatis throwback jersey. So what have you seen from him? I mean, he was so much fun to watch this season, so much fun to watch during that uh, short postseason stint there. But, uh, I mean, how much fun have you had watching him over these uh, couple of years? I I've never heard of him. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm flag row junior and, only. It's a flag row junior. He, podcast. Yeah, no, he, um, yeah, he's something. And his, his sort of path to stardom, you know, it took some people by surprise, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it mostly because he didn't sign for, you know, a ton of money. He was a little skinny kid. You know, it's going to be one of those, one of those trades, you know, that already people are looking back at, you know, when being oh, like, yeah. oops, sort of like, you know, when the Astros got Jeff Bagwell from the Red Sox, you know, one of those kind of deals where you don't know until you know. Yeah. And yeah, we exactly. already know with Fernando Tatis. I, he, I remember when I saw him the first time, well, the Padres started talking about him a little bit early and then like, you know, he's going to be really, really good. Yeah. And then you start seeing him and he's one of those guys that even then, 
And that was early. Like you couldn't take your eyes off of him. Yeah. There are certain guys that even if they don't do anything, there's certain like one, the way he carried himself, the charisma, the personality. And he always had an understanding when he was younger, you know, and it probably helped that, you know, his dad played in the big leagues and things like this. So he sort of understood how to carry himself that, you know, if he had been as sort of out there as he is now, when he was first coming, I was about to say when he was young, was he 23? Yeah, at my age, my age. Oh, you're killing me. <laughs> um, I'm old enough to be your father. Um, that's really true. Uh, but uh, he knew enough to sort of, he never turned off who he was. You always knew he was confident. Um, you always knew that he knew he belonged. But he he turned the volume down just enough where it didn't raise any flares from veterans and things like that. He just he knew how to carry himself. And now to me, it's his game. You know, like this is anyone who complains about anything that he does uh, is is missing the mark. Yeah, I, I, I really think he's so much fun. And and Major League Baseball needs to have him be front and center as much as humanly possible. But I remember, I think, I don't know, it was in spring training and he played in, you know, he got pulled over to play in a big league game. And even then, you're just like, he's the best player on the field. Yeah. And he wasn't yet, but it's just like. He, One of the best just, athletes, he, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, and he, and it, it was also just like, like I said, the way he carried himself in batting practice. And it was like, he knew that he belonged there. Even though he, you know, he wasn't quite going to get the call right that second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, what do you got on uh, on Blue Jays? I know it's hot stove season right now. Um, oh. So Shapiro and company, they are in. Uh, they're in talks with it seems almost any any free agent or uh, potential potential trade. So who do you think could get uh, sent out of Toronto should something come down? I got to call up their prospect. I thought you were going to ask me who they're going to sign. I get into trouble. Like if you start asking me who they're going to sign as a free agent or what major league, you know, once they become major leaguers, it gets tough for me because I like, I, I don't, I can't keep up with yeah, all yeah. the stuff on the prospects. It, it's really hard. And we often do these stories on like, here's one prospect that could get traded from each team. We'll do that. Like when the, you know, when, there was normal winter meetings. We, yeah. you know, like, Oh, here's one guy. You, I, I could pick a guy. The fact of the matter is I think that the blue Jays are not going to do, I think they're going to try not to raid their farm system too much for them to continue to compete regularly. They need to have a strong farm system. They can't keep up with the other teams in the division and, you know, in terms of, Spending. of, spending and you know being huge players in the free agent market they need to pick their spots and then i think the same the same you know with trade so like sure i could tell you like yeah they could trade you know alec manoa sure i mean they have some pitching depth you know i think simeon woods richardson has passed manoa by um nate pearson is nate pearson he's not going anywhere um you know so if you want to take whenever i try to pick guys i try to pick like not the top guy unless it's like a really thin system. Um, but a guy sort of, that's like a tier or two, but has value. So, so I mean, that's a, a blindfolded dartboard kind of deal right there that I gave you. But like, would you say, would you say Woods Richardson and uh, Austin Martin are likely the two untouchables probably? You're, you're taking Pearson off the table. And, and yeah. So I'm not, yeah. Not considering a prospect right now. Yeah. I mean, I would think so. You know, it's rare 
for a first round pick from that draft to get, you know, I know, the, yeah, I know the Diamondbacks did it with Dansby Swanson. That was weird. Um, but to have a guy that was picked that high, um, I, I don't think th- it makes no sense for the Blue Jays to trade a guy like Austin Martin. You know, Jordan Groshans, I wouldn't trade him either. Yeah. Okay. You know, but, you know, could you? I guess. You know, but again, if you're if you're thinking long term and that's what they're doing, you know, Mark Shapiro was being Ross Atkins when they were the Indians, you know, that's what they did. You know, they know like that's an important thing to have a core, a homegrown core or at least, you know, prospects that you traded for that you develop. So I I don't, you know, yeah, I mean, you could pick any of those top four on their top 30 list. And that's Pearson, Martin Groshans and Woods Richardson. I would find it. So I would find it surprising. Um, Cause I don't know that you look at the blues. Just first of all, they have young core in the big leagues. And I don't know if you look at them and you're like, they're, you know, if they just could get Francisco Lindor, they're going to win a world series title. I picked the biggest guy who might be available on the, yeah, yeah. On, on the, on the trip, you know, and then you move, I guess you, what you move Bichette to second base, right? I don't know what you do, but, yeah, yeah. um, I just use that as a wild example that it would make sense that that's going to put you over the top. Now you can make the argument that Francisco Lindor is a, is a franchise changer, yeah. but you know, like, but for a guy that's not going to stay with them, like, I, you know, I just don't see it happening, which is why I think that's the, the case. Fair enough. Fair enough. Disappointing, but but fair. Um, anyway, so we always do our uh, final final question on the podcast here. Um, we ask people, and it, I mean, it'll be great getting your perspective from all the prospects you've watched over the years. So, who um, who's had the most majestic batting practice you've watched over the years? So, I would assume it will, will be coming from a prospect from you, but uh, it can be anyone. Man, so the the, the biggest problem that I have, Cam, is that like. My memory, like, I just don't remember things. So I'm trying to think of guys, because there have been countless guys that you sort of just stop and watch. I'm going to, I'm going to give a little, a little story. It's not like a batting practice, because there have been guys, I'm trying to think of futures game where we would sit there and count. Yeah. You guys just went, ap- you know, went absolutely bonkers. And I'm trying to think of, you know, like an Eloy Jimenez who then hit a ball off the building in San Diego, I think in the futures game and things like that. But I will. Uh, I'm going to bring it back around to uh, to give it a Blue Jays slant because oh, I know I who it. I'm talking to here. <laughs> Got to please so the crowd. I was in New Hampshire, and and Blue Jays fans probably remember seeing this thing, this feature that Carlos Pena Demir Guerrero Jr. when he was in New Hampshire, and I went. I was doing a whole different story with with Vladdy and Obichet where I had them break down their own video. Okay, okay. And then, uh, and then I end up doing a whole Father's Day thing because you, you have, have to, to. <laughs> and uh, because you have to. Um, I had to go back when they were in Harrisburg to ask them Father's Day questions. <laughs> I, I had wanted to avoid it anyway. So in that feature, and you could, you know, if you searched, you probably can find it. Um, you know, but Vladdy was obviously he was in Double A. That that was the year he split the year between Double A AA and Triple A. So he was already hitting, what was he hitting, 400. It was late April, I think, early May. They were about a month into the scene. I remember their hitting coach telling me that Vladdy had already hit two dozen balls at 100 miles an hour or harder. Yeah. Like crazy stories. 
uh, you know, the, the, the manager saying like he would coach third and the Vladdy hit a ball by it, by it was a, it was a single. Yeah. And the third baseman turns to the third base coach and said, did you see that? Like, I'm glad that wasn't hit at me. That was also that, that the game that was at then he hit, was it that game or in Harrisburg? Was, I saw him hit, uh, two balls off the left field wall and then get thrown out at second. Not because he wasn't running hard. He just hit the ball too hard. You know, anyway, so in this feature, he showed it was part parlor trick and part something that he worked on to stay back and work on his opposite field power. Okay. He was hitting balls off the tee over the right center field fence. So we're talking opposite field. Yeah. So 420 feet. And then Carlos Pena, who was no slouch himself, and yeah. he wasn't playing anymore, was doing a, uh, a happy Gilmore three-step walk up and he's left-handed yeah. off the tee. And he like one hopped the wall. Yeah. You know, maybe hit the bottom of the fence and was thrilled. And Vladdy was making it look like he wasn't, he wasn't trying. It's so insane. not exactly the, the batting majestic batting practice, but still one of the things I'm sitting there watching going like, we did it once. I'm like, okay, fine. But it was just like, every time I'm like, what on earth am I watching? Like, I don't know what value it had, but it was one of the most fun things I've ever seen on a baseball field. Yeah, definitely. No. And I remember watching a video of him. Um, and he was just, I think, yeah, T was at home plate and he was just firing off the T yeah, dead center. And I just, I just remember growing up when I was, you know, what, like 16, 17, like <clears throat> lucky to get him. Well, Lucky to get him out of the infield. Sometimes I mean, I'm a, I'm a short guy. I'm five foot five. Not a, not a ton of strength, like 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 Vladdy. But uh, yeah, he's a different uh, he's a different kind of human being. Definitely no, and uh, we're uh, we're hoping he'll uh, he'll come around and kind of find uh, find that pop. Maybe that thirty home run season. He's gonna be just fine. I think so. I think so too. No, I think uh, some patience some patience is needed at least from uh, from this Blue Jays fan base here. So anyways, I uh, I really appreciate you coming on Jonathan and uh some some great insight here for uh for our Canadian followers. So once again, thanks for coming on. My pleasure, Cam. Thanks for having me. Alrighty, there we go. Jonathan Mayo. Big thanks for uh jumping on the podcast here and uh you know, playing up a little bit to uh, to the Canadian crowd with uh, you know the Vlad Guerrero Jr. A couple little Canadian stereotypes in there, and then anytime uh, someone's willing to come on the podcast and tell us that he thinks a Canadian can uh, bring a Cy Young back to Canada, I'm all for it. It's hard to uh, hard to not bring that on the podcast. So that's all I got here for you on episode 11. Uh, make sure you stay locked in. We got another good interview coming at you for episode 12. So make sure you stay tuned over the next week here. And uh, everyone have uh, an awesome weekend. Thanks for tuning in as always. And watch your lips. Watch your lips.